listening to Black Neon Digital Podcasts, episode 21, Catherine Tatum, how Tatum Jones emotionally connect to design socially conscious fashion and champion inclusivity. Welcome to Black Neon Digital Podcasts. I'm your host, Jodie Muter-Hamilton, the founder of Black Neon Digital, and I believe the future of fashion is to honour craftsmanship whilst embracing innovation and to support each other to build businesses that have integrity. The entrepreneurs and visionaries who we speak to are using fashion as a way to create change, finding new ways of working towards a more sustainable and connected fashion industry. Tatum Jones have been recognised worldwide for their emotionally connected approach to fashion, an approach that respects people and their human stories, demonstrating our uniqueness and similarities through a poetic design narrative. They use their platform to create dialogue and support campaigns such as 16 Days of Activism, a United Nations Women International campaign to end violence against women and girls. Tatum Jones represent a pro-social message of inclusivity and positive identity. They believe in creating socially conscious fashion that puts the craftspeople and the customer at the heart of their creations. In this podcast, Catherine Tatum and I discuss fashion education, creative freedom and the importance of approaching research from a place of true connection and how that has resulted in Tatum Jones becoming British Library Designer-in-Residence and the British Fashion Council Positive Fashion Representatives. We also discuss what it means to be Walmart Prize winners and be recognised as textile innovators. And towards the end, we touch upon how recent motherhood has made sustainability issues even more imminent. Thanks for inviting us today. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about your sort of education and the role education plays for you. Um, I know you and Rob were Ravensbourne and St. Martin's, obviously very prestigious, um, you know, London-based schools. How has that sort of set you up in a way for a career in fashion? Um, I think we both had amazing experiences when we were at university, both lucky in that sense, like loved every minute of it. Um, I had a tutor called Jane Shepherdson, and she is now, I think, at Brighton, but she was incredible um, in in the way that she taught us. And she, I've, I don't know if they still do it in this way, in that it was very much that kind of era of, um, if you think, our, the people that we looked up to were Galliano, McQueen, Stella. They were the ones that were in Sunday Time Star magazine every single weekend and who we were looking at. Um, and... It was that era where you you really just kind of went with your creativity and you kind of let it explode and you explored every single avenue. And I think perhaps it's a bit more commercially directed now, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think we could have done with a little more mm. of that tempered into um, our course. But in to be honest, when I look back, I'm extremely grateful I had that opportunity because mm. never again. You, once you start working, never again will you get that the indulgence, the freedom. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I had sort of had the same feeling. You know, graduating two thousand and one from Kingston, yeah. and it was all about the creativity in that time, and like you know, yeah. looking at Comte de Garcon and kind of like yeah. Margiela and and yeah. what that meant, and just being pushed to be as free and as Absolutely. as creative. Yeah, as dream. possible. You, you were fashion was a dream, um, yeah. and you just. 
um, explored every single kind of layer and um, element of it that you could. And there were no boundaries. There were no commercial boundaries. Mm. No one spoke about cost when I was at university, which is now kind of incredible to think. No one mentioned cost. Yeah, definitely that business element is a lot more kind of like, you know, within fashion training now because yeah. we have to be commercial and we're sort of built to build brands a bit more rather yeah. than just maybe go to work for a house or something yeah. um also the other thing that i was thinking about is the research and how important that was because you know to be mm-hmm. creative you have to really understand your subject um and i know that's mega important to you yeah. so can you just elaborate on the research side yeah so um so I think with that kind of um, license, really, to just go full throttle into um, any, every element of your kind of concept and narrative um, when you're in your educational phase, um, for me, had a real... It, it, I, it, I kind of leaned to thinking about the psyche of um, whoever it was that I was looking at or the movement that I was looking at or the, the story that I was looking at. Um, and that some people have described for myself and Rob that we that they see us as method designers um because that that's part of our design process we have to whoever we're looking at or group of people that we're looking at um we have to get under the skin we have to kind of understand what it is that drives them or drove them to do something Mm. in particular um and to do that you need to really kind of understand their psyche Mm. um so you're, you touched there on um, kind of past and present figures that you sort of look at. So I know if you could think about them in a, an amused sort of sense. Yeah. Um, why is it important to you that, you know, you thoroughly research the past and the present and kind of link that all in, in terms of a narrative and, and history and how people are presented in history? Um, because I think there's, a, there's almost like a level of respect you have to pay um, to... To the, to the person or the people that you're looking at. Um, and with that then comes an authentic body of research. Um, if you if you kind of skim the surface and you almost just cherry pick what it is that you you like, which we, we all, as humans, we mm. all do that anyway. We're all going to be attracted. Particularly to, on an aesthetic level yeah. for fashion. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, yeah. But if you have a real authentic um body of research i'm just thinking one example is the um spring summer 16 collection we did and we did it based on this amazing woman called lima goey who she basically took down the dictatorship um in liberia and i saw her on a documentary that was based on hillary clinton but she was the one point in that documentary she was in it for about 60 seconds only um but she jumped out to me um as an amazingly strong woman um, and who'd done incredible things but done it with a massive amount of vulnerability and heart Um, and the only way that we were going to be able to really understand what it was that drove her and to filter that back into the colours, to the fabric, um, to the overall narrative of the collection and the show was if we met her. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the only way I saw that was going to be possible. Um, But we have FaceTime and we have Skype so we, in fact, we went back to um, snail mail and we literally wrote her letters. Um, and it was really hard to get... Where was she living at the time or where does she live? She was all over the place. When we, when we eventually managed to 
uh, speak to her on FaceTime. She was in New York. She was there for a UN conference. Um, and she gave us like 100% of that, like that 20 minutes that we had talking to her, she gave us like everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up um, meeting her for dinner a couple of weeks after that when she was in, she was in London again for like, I think 48 hours and she agreed to meet us. Um, so that kind of research enables you then to think about you think about the design from the perspective of you're almost walking it through her mm. um and we would talk about in we have a we have what we call a protected two week bubble in the studio when we're designing and we basically don't get back to anyone and it's probably very annoying for at the outside world and suppliers and all the rest of it but it's only two weeks um and it's it it's kind of served the collection well mm. um and you whilst you're designing fabrics and you're designing silhouettes and you're um working on the stand and you're working with your cutters we're constantly talking about the subject and how mm. what would she have how she how would she have answered that how would she like the feel of that um what would be her perspective mm. on say those three prints together um so it's very difficult to get that unless you've got first-hand research. Mm. And that's obviously not always possible because some people are no longer here. Yeah. Um, how does that play into your um, role within the British Library? And kind of, can you, yeah. Yeah, so that, so it's, so the process by which we design collections is the, was the springboard for that conversation to happen with the British Library. They met Rob and I through um, the educational um the person basically at the British Fashion Council who um, she deals with all the college councils um, and she introduced us to them. We met them and explained how we design collections um, and they were really interested. Um, so this is called British Library Designer in Residence, yeah. is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, that was our official title mm-hmm. and we had like staff emails and everything. It was amazing. <laughs> um, we still do. Um, and they, what they were interested in, so they have obviously an amazing um scope mm. for research for um for every kind of sector but what they were finding is that um fashion just wasn't engaging mm. um and they didn't really understand why um i understood from from the perspective of like how you would go about finding their digital files and the research on their website wasn't particularly user friendly um it didn't the aesthetic of it didn't look appealing um it wasn't grabbable enough maybe for kind of i imagine fashion students going to it so we worked with them to create a competition um for students that would really encourage and drive students through these digital Mm. archives that they have which are amazing and the most amazing thing about them is that they're copyright free Mm, so They've got all this body of digitised um, documents, fabrics, embroideries. They have so much more than what people realise. Mm. Um, and they're all copyright free. So you could, if you're really yeah. looking for in-depth and first-hand yeah. and primary research for a print, um, you could go there and spend days looking through mm. stuff. Um, and the fashion world just didn't know about it. Wow. Um, so we did a competition, which now is an ongoing competition. Yeah. 
Um, how does that, so you touched on kind of surfacing things for education. So going back to the education point, um, off air we discussed pretty much everything relates to education and money and, the, and sort of the link between those mm. two things. So how can we as, you know, people working within the industry help and support the education system or people to get you know find the information that they need find the support that they need perhaps even find the money or the business support that they need what role do we play in that you have to um i think like with everything you have to make it cool um you have to make it accessible um and it needs to not cost students basically Mm. um they will because it's too easy for them to They've got all their own, like St Martin's is an incredible library. We still go there every season to do visual research um, and it's free. Um, but but it's too easy for students to rely on Instagram, to rely mm. on just Google, basically. So you have to you have to kind of set it up as something that feels good to use, um, that's easy to use, that looks and feels cool to kind of be part of your design process and ultimately it's got to be free. Mm. Um, Now all of those things apply to the British Library. Mm. Maybe perhaps it didn't feel cool or it wasn't, um, it just wasn't very, I think the user friendliness of it um, was there one of their biggest barriers, Um, but it's free. Mm. Um, And hopefully now we've kind of, we've done two there are two rounds of students that have now come through and used um, the archives. Hopefully it will become more of a popular mm. thing because you, you have to make it populist. Yeah, I guess the, the communication element of anything you know that you do is important, particularly with your brand. So it's how do you communicate your values? You know, yeah. We talked about human stories and how, how important that is to your brand and also yeah. how you... Um, how you sort of promote the craftsmanship element as well. So I know that your, um, you know, representative BFC's positive fashion and kind of what that means as a communication tool. Um, Can you just talk a little bit more about how you externally, you know, you've gone through the research process, Mm. you've created a a garment and a product and how you, what, you know, how do you communicate after that point? Well, for us, it kind of comes full circle when we, um, when we shoot a lookbook. Um, when we when we do a fashion show, um, that's when we're. Uh, so we've we've had this body of research. We've um, we internally know the narrative, um, and then we create the collection. And actually, the question came up for us um, when we did our we did Spring Summer seventeen collection, Love Letter to Scotland, and it was based on this group of this LGBT group that we met in Glasgow. Um, and when it came to cast the show, we thought to ourselves, hang on a sec. And in fact, it was our first ever catwalk. Um, but being our first ever catwalk and we'd never done it before, we'd, you know, created this collection. We'd gone through that design process. We'd gone through that research process and we had these real humans who were kind of in literally embodied in this collection. And then we got to the show and we were like, well, who's walking down the runway who's representing this um and we did ask some of the guys that we'd um we'd met but they felt too they 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 weren't kind of it wasn't quite their thing to do that um they were too cool for that um and it was that was like the starting point for the 
following season where we knew it had to be it had to be fuller the conversation that mm-hmm. we have internally in the studio the conversation we have creating the um the lookbook and creating the collection and creating the music that had to extend to mm. um absolutely had to At extend every point yeah. Yeah. yeah um so that and it was the, the season after that um it was a season after that that we um, started to look at the body mm-hmm. and we had the body part one and the body part two. And all of that, it all is a continuous ebb and flow mm-hmm. conversation. All these collections just kind of, um, they ebb and flow from from one another. In fact, what we do now is have an annual um, narrative and an annual mm-hmm. theme. And we, we, we don't kind of take six months to do something, shut the book and then move on because yeah. it doesn't... Doesn't work. Really. Doesn't work. Doesn't no. work for us as designers and it also no. doesn't pay respect again to the no. subjects that we look it's at it's kind of like trying to switch off one part of your brain and say that's not important anymore yeah. let's move on i yeah. think you know that continuation of of people and the yeah. stories and the, the elements and yeah. the, the human stories and yeah. kind of the emotional connection you yeah. can't switch off yeah exactly um one thing that i love um because i used to horse ride in the olden days mm. and I, i've never um managed to master dressage was mm. the fact that you um you know worked with natasha baker yeah. and and she you know what I've sort of gauged from that is she is dancing with the horse yeah. and just this feeling yeah. of her mm. being in total like connection and that kind of emotion through that and then yeah. you've created you know something beautiful from that about dance and yeah. every, I think that's so I'm special. Goosebumps bumps just thinking yeah. about it because that was a that was a particularly special um, again body of research and yeah. collection. We had um, we had a lot of time with her and her parents actually. And that taught us a lot about um, intersectionality. Um, that was the kind of the beginning of us really thinking about that um, because we we went into it thinking the big kind of um, the big face of this part of this research and this narrative will be about Natasha's disability. It wasn't at all. If mm. you if you meet and kind of listen to the story of most people that have some sort of I hate using the word disability because they hate it because they're like, they don't feel mm. not able. Um, but we went into that kind of thinking, that will be the talking point with Natasha and we'll kind of, we'll learn a lot about that um, quite naively. Mm. And actually, we came out of it and that was not... Mentioned. No, it wasn't yeah. the main point. Yeah. Her, She was so positive as a person that it was impossible to get any kind of melancholy mm. from her. It was impossible. I mean, we got it from her parents because they retold the story of mm. how they found her when she was um, a baby and she was lifeless, literally like a rag doll. And turns out she then has this disease called transverse mellitus. And, and they gave us that their experience of that. Um, but she'd lived with it all her life. She knew nothing else. And she, she would quite openly say from the waist down she was useless. Um, but it was very matter of fact for her mm. and she was so incredibly driven mm. um, and she I think at the age of nine she watched the dressage um, Olympics World Olympics and she said to like, turn around to her parents and said that's what I'm going to do mm. and knew from that age um, so nothing about that collection mm. was melancholy mm. um, everything was positive actually quite light I think if you look at the fabrics mm. That's when we started to do um, kind of really start using flocked organzas. Um, There's a lot of movement in it again. Yeah, that, and it yeah. was that all came from, and it was mainly focused on her relationship with the mm. horses and the beauty and the magic of mm. that. 
Yeah, for her to achieve dressage as well. I mean, yeah. it's like the hardest thing ever to do, yeah. horse riding. And she had to do it with whispers. Yeah. Unbelievable. Which was, it was just beautiful, the way. Yeah. And we went to um, we went to her farm. Um, we saw her ride with horses. We The video that we created for the... Um, for the catwalk show, the backdrop. Um, it's amazing she let us do this, really. We had her in this kind of nude bodysuit, um, which was then painted in the style that one of the prints in the fabric yeah. was painted. And she um, she kind of worked the horses in this film. Um, we really got in, into her life. Mm. Um, she was very she was very open and we were very lucky. With yeah, that. incredible. Um just thinking a little bit about uh, moving on now to the global womanhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I know that you've had Tamara Jinjik, who obviously, you know, I work with at Fashion Roundtable, and mm-hmm. also another friend of mine, uh, Clara Ampho, who we, you know, we worked together in yeah. in a skate shop, actually, years ago. <laughs> but um, Small world. Yeah, exactly. What kind of brought you to this global womanhood idea and and why at that time you know because it's you've done sort of two collections Mm. around that and and what sort of pushed the womanhood kind of element to that or or the conversation around that um I think again so what started global womanhood part one we had um we 25 women and we asked them all the same three questions so question one being um, what was your most joyous moment that you've ever had? Um, second question, what's your saddest moment that you've ever had? And the third question, what gives you hope? Um, and I think for us, it was about... We had so many incredible... Our, our private client business has really built in the last like five years. And we had so many incredible women that are in our world. Um, but they're all very, very different. So you have... You know, we have aristocratic women that kind of fly all over the world and that lead an incredibly different life to um, to a frontline feminist activist, um, Amri, who, who I can't actually say the group that she works for because they're very much underground. Um, they were just polar ends um, of each other. However, there were so many similarities... And commonalities yeah, between ...that were drawn yeah. through the answers to these mm. questions that... It was, I didn't, a lot of this um, process, we don't necessarily know. It's like a hypothesis. We don't know, we Mm. we think how things are going to turn out when we start asking these humans these questions, Mm. um, but we don't necessarily know um, the end result. So we had all these amazing women around us, um, but very, very different. So um, we decided we wanted to kind of take 25 of these women um, and... And ask them the three same questions and see see what that would draw from them. We didn't know what kind of what would be the outcome. Um, but there are a lot of um, very, very kind of sincere and beautiful similarities that run through that, despite the fact that you had women of vastly different ages, mm. different yeah, backgrounds, religions, races, professions, um, such different personalities. Um and their kind of their moments of joy and the moments of sadness and what gave them hope um, were obviously different, um, but they had kind of common mm. themes. And for us, it was about, um, in a very simple way, presenting this idea that despite the fact that we're different, we're actually very, very, mm, very similar. There's commonalities. Yeah, yeah, we are. We are all 
we are all kind of the same Mm. um, and it comes from the same the things that we experience joy through and the things that we experience sadness through and the things that give us hope do all come from very similar places Mm. Um, and that's I guess what we what we hoped we would um, present and share through that collection Mm -hmm. Um, can we just talk a little bit about the um, basically the Walmart prize what that means to you as a business and kind of um, in terms of financial you know you win money from the prize and actually you also um, get into different stockists and things so yeah Yeah. Um, yeah so winning so we won the Walmart prize in 2016 February 2016 um, and we won it in New York Fashion Week, which for us was a dream because we love New York. Um, and it was a real game changer for us um, from a business point of view, but also from a kind of brand messaging point of view. We we were recognised for the innovative approach we had mm. to the textiles that we designed for that collection. We we kind of we the way we approached designing um, the Walmart collection was not to was not to kind of change what we do and, okay, let's now go and find some wool um, that will apply to our um, designs. It was more like, let's just keep doing what we're doing um, and bring wool into our world. Mm. Um, So for us, that meant, at that point, we were really into um, macrame laces. So we had to find somewhere that would weave um, wool lace for us. Um, And we went to the French factory that had been doing it for like almost 150 years and asked them if they would change their like hundreds and hundreds spools of nylon threads that they used to wool would and we had to supply all the wool and we had to go through various different rounds of um experimentation with the weights of wool um they were breaking i mean it was quite sort of um, heart-wrenching at times however we found a supplier and a weight of wool that worked in their machines that they allowed us to, mm. to, to give to them to try out, and it worked. And mm. they'd never, ever produced wool lace before. Um, and they now sell wool lace as part of their collection. Amazing. Um, yeah, so you've kind of, yeah, totally changed their perception yeah. of what's possible. Actually. Yeah. Hence why the title now, you know, Textile Innovators and Pioneers, yeah. you've kind of... Yeah. yeah and it was the first time that we'd kind of been recognised um, globally, really, for that, because it's such a global competition. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the money was amazing. It was a, it was a real turning point for us. It allowed us to, um, to kind of invest back into the business. I mean, we'd spent, um, we'd spent money on developing the collections, um, but we'd learned a lot about textile development whilst doing that. Um, and then the stockists that we that we um, took on from the competition were all kind of stellar, you know, world class stockists, mm-hmm. which we then flew around the world and launched each collection with those stores. So as a competition, I mean, it's... Incredible. Yeah, yeah. it's a yeah. massive competition. It's an incredible one to win. Um, and the company themselves um, are very thorough. Mm. There's nothing... Um, there's no other competition, I think, that sort of rivals them for their thoroughness in how... Um, in how they not only um, not only how they deliver the prize, um, but how they make you then kind of launch your collections, mm-hmm. how you communicate your collections, um, and how they get you involved in the world of Walmart as well, and mm. and you become ambassadors mm. to Walmart. 
It's interesting because obviously they're an Australian company. Mm. So um, how does that play into perhaps you working with, say, John Smedley? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want to talk about that, that um, or not, I don't know. But, you know, it's if we look at it actually and frame it in a different way, we could say, you know, we're all, what we talk about at Fashion Roundtable is it's a global conversation, fashion. Actually, yeah. it's not that siloed. You yeah. have to be, you know, promoting wool in Australia is the yeah. same as promoting it here. And, yeah. and that kind of piggybacking thing obviously supports yeah. John Smedley as well. Yeah. You know, by default. Um, I mean, exactly. And John Smedley is... Um, I actually think they use they do use wool merino yeah. wool from Australia, um, and merino wool comes from yeah. Australia, New Zealand yeah. as well. Um, so they use those fibres. Um, but um, I mean, again, they're another company that's very thorough um, yeah. and very kind of authentic, um, and they they've supported us um, for several seasons now um and a brilliant they're they're a brilliant company to work for from the point of view of learning about sustainability Mm -hmm. um because sustainability is a is a massive um factor in how they run their company Mm. particularly Um, with the wool and them yeah and all that kind of thing yeah their kind of usage of if you look on their website and read um their kind of company manifesto Mm. um they really have been sort of taking it seriously for quite a long Mm. time um it's now cool to talk about it yeah um but they and i think they've been messaging it as well yeah i think they they you know i was kindly enough to be sponsored by them for my graduate collection and from that i kind of they just felt so open and you could talk directly to them and they just were like yes of course you can have these spools of wool and it just seemed very like a normal way of operating i think it's because you're dealing with a family essentially You're dealing with an operation and a business that has its roots are ingrained in that kind of family approach. Mm. So everyone there that um, so they kind of they spin their own wool as well. Mm. Everyone there that kind of knits and spins and links and finishes and packs, um, they all work within a radius of each Mm. other. So they all know each other. So you really are dealing with Mm. a kind of family. Yeah mentality yeah um so there's that so with that i think comes an approach that's like they, they want to help mm. um and, and you're part of the family once you yeah yeah, exactly. yeah once you start working with yeah them. um that brings me on nicely to uh your own family <laughs> <laughs> so how how are you finding that because we've got a very young um yeah a little girl we've got a little here. red on my yeah. lap breastfeeding at the moment very yeah. noisily um yeah i mean it's uh overwhelming um to to begin with um but then i think one other one of the women actually from um global womanhood part one katie lemon she she become a became a mum last year um and i was asking her how do you she runs her own business how do you fit this how do you fit um your son into into your work and into your life and rather than look at it as a kind of stop start approach she was like i haven't just stopped being a creative and I haven't just stopped being a kind of business owner mm. it's a continuation it's like it really is an ex- it just continues but mm. you just adapt um yeah. so I, f- I feel like I really took on that um that line of thinking and, mm. and that kind of advice um and you just have to work around it mm. um and you just 
get on with it. Yeah, it's just another, it's another sort of element or component that you're yeah. dealing with. Or, yeah, you know. exactly. It's definitely taught me to get out of the house quicker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the hell I was doing before. I don't know why... Um, why you I, had I, to put makeup on? Why, why I was ever late, I don't know. Um, <laughs> because now I can't be, because I need to yeah. just get on. Um, so she's actually, I think, made me more punctual. Mm. <laughs> um, because I have to be. Have you changed... Um, you know, have you readdressed how you look at your business in any way? Obviously, you you know, you produce in a, a way that people probably, I don't know how to say this, um, a way that people are just coming round to now, like sustainably and, yeah. and that kind of thing. So you're already on that journey pre-child. Yeah. And I yeah. know for a lot of people that kind of thinking, oh, my God, at the end of my life, yeah. I've left something for my child. Yeah. So, like, yeah. you know, has that changed or shifted or you just, it's an extension? Like, Yeah, you it's, it is an extension, but it has definitely felt exaggerated in the last, um, I think it's felt exaggerated for us as a business mm. in the last year. Um, so since having read, um, yeah, of course, it does make you just think, blimey, you know, these... It's because it f- it feels so imminent and so urgent mm. now in my lifetime that mm. I'm like, God, well, that's like, that could be just the early stages of her lifetime. So you feel this massive sense of respo- responsibility is just kind of ramped up. Mm. Um, and the time pressure's there, isn't it? Yeah. More than, yeah. yeah. And I, we've always said that with, with having, um, you know, with having, a show at London Fashion Week or having a space at London Fashion Week, a voice, um, is a real, is a privilege that we don't mm. take for granted. Um, and I'll always remember my tutor at university saying to me, or saying to all of us, in fact, um, you now have the opportunity to show at Graduate Fashion Week. That's huge. You may not ever show a catwalk ever again mm. in your fashion career. Mm. Um, are you going to take that opportunity or not? Yeah. Um, and I really it rung out like massive mm. bells to me. I just thought, God, Jay, he's right. Um, this may be the only ever catwalk that I can mm. show my designs down, so I'm going to really go for it. And I feel like that's never left me. Mm. Um, so every time we do a collection, a lookbook, a show, you, I think we approach it as if it's our last. Mm. Um, and with that, you think, okay, what can I say? Um, really can, use your platform and yeah what, what can that. we what can we do and what can we mm. say um, because there's nothing worse than having a voice and not using it mm. um, so yeah yeah amazing thank you by forming genuine connections and shared experiences we understand people and our surroundings in a way in which is honest and respectful fashion is an extremely powerful medium by which we can create change emotional connection enables empathy and that empathy allows us to see things through new eyes if all brands approach design the way in which Tatum Jones does we would certainly see fewer instances of cultural appropriation and sustainability issues will be less likely because we are at one with each other and the planet. Till next time, be sure to join the conversation via Instagram at Black Neon Digital, Twitter at Digital Neon and online at blackneondigital.com. Digital.com.